Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing in Arts Nova Scotia. Today, Costas Halabrezos interviews journalist and author Kayla Hounsel. Whether we admit to it or not, murder gets our attention. We might deplore the fact that it seems to automatically lead newscasts and seize banner headlines, but at the same time we can find ourselves half-listening to radio and TV reports on a murder or skimming the first few paragraphs in an article about it. Is it simply because we simply can't imagine what would motivate us to kill another human being? Kayla Hounsel has had time to contemplate such questions. She not only covered one of the most celebrated murder trials of the decade in Atlantic Canada, one in which the victim's body has never been discovered, but she's written a book which gives us insight into motivations. It's called First Degree, From Med School to Murder, the story behind the shocking Will Sanderson trial. And I should mention that a portion of the royalties are being donated to a memorial scholarship named after the victim, Taylor Sampson. Kayla Hounsel, welcome to Book Me. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. The major news media always assign reporters to murder trials, uh, but very few of those reporters write about the trial or the stories of the accused and the victim. How did you end up writing First Degree? It's a good question. It's one that I'm asked a lot. And sometimes people are disappointed with the answer, Costas, because it wasn't my idea. So this was the idea of my wonderful publisher, Nimbus Publishing, and my editor, Elaine McCluskey. But I knew immediately that it was a good idea and that I was the person to write the book. I guess they had to recognize it and tell me, but um, it just really seemed to make a lot of sense. Uh, I had been covering the trial from the very beginning, um, but that's something that people know. But even beyond that, back to the first days when Taylor Sampson was first reported missing in August of 2015, and that was something that was rare for me as a reporter. I was a reporter for CTV at the time, and I'd covered a lot of court. I'd covered a lot of crime. It was pretty rare for me to have been in a situation where I was there from those very beginning early days before anyone even knew that Taylor Sampson was dead on through, you know, an extensive search for his body through the bail hearing and the preliminary inquiry and the trial itself. I felt like I had developed relationships with his family and friends and that I wanted to be able to tell this story in its entirety. Now, there have been many murders and trials in Halifax over the past few years, but why do you think this one received so much attention? I think there are a couple of reasons. I think the first is because of who was involved. You know, we're dealing with, at that time, an alleged murderer, now convicted killer, who was a medical student. He was going to be a doctor. He was pledging to save lives. And then he ended up taking a life. He had so much promise. So did the victim, a 22-year-old physics student at Dalhousie University, also had such a bright future. And not just the killer and the victim, but all of their friends. They were this, there was a, a lineup of young, attractive, intelligent university students, some through no fault of their own, that we saw being traipsed through a courtroom in Nova Scotia. And as I say, I've spent a lot of time in court. These are not the people that we see in courtrooms. And I think that was really hard for people to wrap their heads around. So they were drawn to that. Uh, it was also, not certainly not the first, but 
uh, the live tweeting that was happening from the courtroom with reporters was still relatively new, and it was giving people insight into this case in a way many had not had a chance to see before. We don't have cameras in courtrooms in Nova Scotia, in Canada. So people were hanging on to every word, and they felt like they were there. I had so many people tell me that they felt like they were there. And I think because of that, they came to care about Taylor Sampson. In the early days in Halifax, I think, you know, he was kind of dismissed as just another drug dealer. And then people saw that he had people who cared about him, his friends and family, his mother, who is his fiercest defender, was there every day. And so they wanted to know more about him. And while all of this was incredibly awful and real life for the people that I mentioned who were most deeply impacted by this murder... There's no denying that for people watching from the outside, those people not connected who were watching on Twitter, this is a classic murder mystery. They knew that Taylor Sampson's body had not been found, and so they were clinging to every twist and turn through this trial to try to find out that answer. What was at stake for Will Sanderson and Taylor Sampson when they met for that drug deal? And could you tell us about their roles Right. So this story all begins on the night of August 15th, 2015. Taylor Sampson, as I say, was a 22-year-old university student. And, you know, he had grown up in Amherst, Nova Scotia, uh, with a single mother who struggled to make ends meet, didn't have a lot of money. And he sold drugs. And everyone in his family and his friends knew that. They thought that he was selling small amounts here and there to his friends to make some extra cash while he was in university because it was difficult for him. And so on that night, he was getting ready to go downtown with his girlfriend and some friends. And he told his girlfriend, Mackenzie Ruthven, that he was just going a few houses down and he would be right back. Left his keys, his wallet, his medication on the table. He had a large duffel bag. She thought that there was a large amount of marijuana in it, although she had no idea how much. There was 20 pounds of weed in that bag, and they were going to do a drug deal for $40,000. So he was going to meet Will Sanderson that night, we know now. William Sanderson was also 22 at the time. Uh, he's 26 now and serving a life sentence for first-degree murder. Uh, and William Sanderson was going to meet Taylor Sampson at his apartment. They were going to do this drug deal, but Taylor Sampson never came back, and he's never been seen since. So we have some idea of the motivation, but could could you tell us more about what you think, based on the evidence, was the motivation that pushed Sanderson into killing Sampson? The Crown certainly pointed to the motive as money, greed, and financial gain. The evidence shows that William Sanderson had a $200,000 student line of credit. At the time, in 2015, he already owed $78,000 against that student line of credit. He hadn't even started at Dow Medical School yet. He had already completed one year of medical school in the Caribbean. Uh, and they also pointed to evidence in text messages that showed that there was concern about money. Uh, there was a time when his dad had texted him saying that his mom was really not happy because she was um, named on his student line of credit and received this statement that said he owed $78,000. And he told his dad, don't worry about that. It'll, it'll all be paid off in September. There's no evidence as to how he was going to pay that off by any legitimate means in September. 
And then there was another text message from William Sanderson to one of his friends just six and a half hours after Taylor Sampson was last seen. So it's very early in the morning at 5 a.m. on August 16th, where he texts a friend and says, I'm squeaky clean now. I just paid off my student loan. Now, as with many criminal trials, the defense chose not to put its client, Will Sanderson, on the stand. But you did hear and see his initial interrogation by police. So we learn a lot about William Sanderson's side of this from that interrogation because he didn't take the stand. We all sort of waited with bated breath to see if he would. He tells the police multiple versions of what happened that night. And the first version, I guess, he tells before that interrogation video that you mentioned when he was just a, a voluntary witness. So he tells the police that he didn't see Taylor Sampson uh, that night at all, that they were supposed to meet up and Taylor Sampson didn't show up. Then we get into this interrogation, and it's really where we see this dynamic of good cop, bad cop. Uh, the good cop is trying to be friends with with William Sanderson. He tells him, I know you're a good guy. And it always seems to be about the fact that he was a doctor. So I'm going to read you a part where they talked about that. If you think about it, things never go quite as planned, right, Will? They never go quite as planned. Then it comes back to the medicine. It always comes back to the medicine. Allison asks Sanderson what specifically his aspirations are, whether he wants to be a GP, a surgeon, etc., Sanderson responds with two words only, sports medicine. Allison acknowledges that that will take a long time, nearly a decade of Sanderson's life, while his buddies are all out making money. So why does anyone want to become a doctor, Allison asks. You know why? Because they genuinely want to help people. Then for the first time, Allison mentions the man who is missing. Six foot five, 220 pound Taylor Sampson. Do you know Taylor's brother? I didn't really know Taylor. Taylor's brother has an intellectual disability. He's missing his brother and he's a mess. Somebody's got to explain to him what happened. What happened to Taylor? Sanderson stares in silence. Allison continues, telling Sanderson he knows things aren't always as they appear. He uses an analogy, trying to compare a doctor's work to that of a police officer's. It's sort of like when somebody comes into the emergency room and presents with a chest pain. You're the attending physician and you're trying to figure out their symptoms. So when someone comes in and presents like that, you're doing an investigation. You're trying to get a picture of what's going on with this person. And that's the same thing we do, he says. Silence. Do I think you're one of these guys who goes around doing this stuff all the time? No. Unless I'm wrong. Silence. I know you're a good guy because you were going to swear that oath. You work in a home for people with intellectual disabilities. You're a good guy. I'm sure if you could rewind the clock right now, you would. What would you do? You'd change the whole thing, right? There's a knock at the door. Do you think some readers might be surprised at the extent of the trade and the use of drugs among college students? And this was just a few years before cannabis was legalized. I think that a lot of readers would be surprised by that. And I think that is also part of what, what drew people to this this story. And people seem to have this, this thought that something deeper was going on here, you know, that this really wasn't just a drug deal between students. All of the evidence shows that that it very much was. Um, there are some police transcripts, which I also write about in the book, that show that there are concerns that maybe William Sanderson or Taylor Sampson were involved with the Hells Angels, that this was something bigger 
but but the police repeated over and over it's not it's not that and that it really isn't that uncommon what they were doing and even that specter seemed to influence some witnesses that they might have been connected to That's the, right. To the angels. And this played a quite uh, a big role in the trial. It almost derailed the entire trial, actually. Well, tell us about this, because there was that bizarre twist in the trial, uh, which couldn't be fully reported at the time, which almost led to a mistrial. It, it involved a private investigator hired by the defense and some of the literal witnesses to, to the murder's aftermath. Can, can you explain it to us? Yes, I'll try. It's complicated. So... There are two witnesses who were friends of William Sanderson's, and they lived across the hall from him. And for for a long time, more than a year, they told police they didn't see anything. What we know, and the police always believed they knew more, is that they walked across the hall. They're seen on surveillance video looking into William Sanderson's apartment, and they would go on to testify that they saw a man, they didn't know who because they didn't know Taylor Sampson, sitting on a chair, slumped over. There was blood all over the place. William Sanderson was running around in a panic, picking up bloody money. And this would go on to be the most damning evidence against William Sanderson. But it only came to light because of that private investigator you mentioned. Basically, the defense hired this private investigator to go lean on those witnesses, see what they might say under pressure if they were put on the stand. And by that point, they were just willing to talk to anyone who was going to approach them. This had really impacted their lives. They were scared because, as you say, they believed that that there was some deeper connection here, that the Hells Angels were involved and that their own lives might be in danger. So they wanted to get this off their chest. So they told the story to the private investigator and he would go on to help facilitate interviews between them and the police. So think about that. I mean, this is... He's gone over to the prosecution side. He has effectively switched sides. He's hired by the defense and now he is, he is whether he was in Intending to do that or not, he's helping the prosecution side. And so this was obviously a big problem for the defense. It was all a surprise for them. They learned while the trial was already underway. It caused a significant delay in the trial when no one knew what was happening. The public started speculating because we were not able to report what was happening, the reporters in the courtroom at the time. And so it would go to lead the defense to ask for a mistrial, but in the end, the judge didn't grant it. This is one of these things that differentiates daily reporting of a trial uh, from your book and vice versa, in that, you know, while journalists file daily reports, there are some aspects they're not allowed to report on in real time, such as a a voir dire, a, a trial within a trial, if you will, on whether, say, to allow some evidence in which the jury has to leave the leave the courtroom. What's it like to be able to provide that full narrative in a book? I think that's so much of why I wanted to write this book. I wanted to be able to give that full picture. This might be hard for people outside of the industry to understand, but for a journalist, it was actually really gratifying because uh, while I understand why it's so important to protect the trial and the justice process, and we can't report anything that is said in the absence of the jury, it's really frustrating when you you know this information. And now, especially, as I say, with all the live reporting on Twitter, and we engage with the audience, and they're asking questions, and they're asking us what's going on in there, and we have to actually say, I know, but I can't tell you. 
that's really frustrating. So it was really gratifying to be able to tell the whole story for that reason, and also for Taylor Sampson's family. And I think that's why, you know, they participated in the book, because they wanted the whole story told. And this is the only place where that has happened. And again, his body has never been found. You spent considerable time interviewing Taylor Sampson's mother. How has she dealt with that? It's a good question. It's a really difficult one to answer. I'm not sure that she has dealt with that. It is a th- something that she still talks about. I've still, I still have communication with her, and it is her number one priority. I think, you know, she has grieved and she accepts what has taken place here, but she has never been able to have the closure that she wants, that she needs, and that she deserves. And she desperately, to this day, wants to know where her son's body is. Kayla Hounsel, thank you very much for coming in to book me. Thank you. It's great to be here. Kayla Hounsel is an award-winning journalist who covered the trial of Will Sanderson for the murder of Taylor Sampson. She is now the CBC national reporter for the Maritimes. A portion of royalties from the book are being donated to the Taylor Sampson Memorial Scholarship, awarded to a student at Amherst Regional High School, which Taylor graduated from before he attended Dalhousie University. To hear past episodes of our podcast, go to bookmepodcast.ca, that's bookmepodcast.ca, or just pop book me with an exclamation mark in your search engine. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. Our producers Robin Grant and Lynn Fox presides over the technical issues. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. 